Welcome everyone to the Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me, who dat? It's Pete. Hello, Pete. You mind passing me the... Cilantro? You must have done this before. The Cloak and Dagger podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 104, call slash response, is sponsored by Foster Father Fajitas. So spicy, the water delivery lady will burn your office to the ground. <laughs> well done, Pete. Good reminder to everybody to not schedule your water delivery deliveries at like 10 p.m. or whatever. Pete, here we are talking Cloak and Dagger on the Cloak and Dagger feed, on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. Meanwhile, earlier today on that same Pop Culture Podcast feed, we were talking some Luke Cage. It's a great time to be in the MCU. Yes, we love it at Fantastic Geek when we have two shows broadcast at the same time. It's more for you. That it is, Pete. And without any further dilly-dally delay, take us into the recap for this episode. This episode picks right up from the last in the abandoned church with a rather unique construction that intercuts between their conversation throughout. After the title card, Matt, both Tyrone and Tandy go home. Tyrone bypasses his parents at breakfast. Tandy brings her mom some coffee, which she makes Irish and uses to wash down pills. Greg bought groceries. Tyrone and Evita share a little dark room romance, and she wonders who this new Tyrone is. As Greg prepares fajitas, Tandy wants to know what his angle is. Turns out he got his start as a public defender and urges patience with her mother. In the church, Tandy explains that when she touches someone's skin, she can see their hopes. She cons Greg into touching him and sees the life he wants with her mom, a new home, and a pending marriage. Tandy checks out the offices of Greg Pressfield, Esquire, attorney at law, at the church, rather than being seen as a suspect, Tandy advises Tyrone he pose as a victim to get the answers he needs about his crooked cop. He takes his bike, a chain, uses his phone to take a picture of it, uh, severed with the bowl cutters, and then throws his bike underneath an overpass. Tandy presses Pressfield. Tyrone reports his bike stolen at the local police precinct. Scoping out the station, however, proves too much for him after the events of his past and he heads home. His father asks him about his missing bolt cutters and finds them in his backpack. Worried, Tyrone is heading down the same path of his slain brother, Billy. Tyrone tells him he's not up to no good. In the church, Tyrone explains he doesn't understand how his power works or where it's taken him. There's the connection with his cop or Tandy. Um, his, his power also seems to show him what he needs to see in addition to protecting him. 
Uh, he asks about her power, um, and they both wonder why they got the powers they did and not others and decide to test their limits. Tyrone's father brings him to a backyard barbecue after telling him to keep whatever he sees quiet. Uh, in the ninth ward here with the wild red hawks, again in the church, Tandy and Tyrone test how close they can get to each other without triggering their crazy or their cray cray, as Patsy might say on that other network. They close their eyes and push each other violently. It was nice at first, however, Tyrone notes. Tandy has dinner with her mother and Greg. His phone rings. It's his wife. Uh, he doesn't take it at first, but she encourages uh, Tandy. Tandy's mother does him to take it. Then she decides because of her job interview in the morning that she's going to bed. Tyrone learns Billy was being groomed to be the next spy boy. What's that, you ask, Matt? Well, the spy boy runs out into the unknown, unprotected, looking for trouble. Sound familiar? Uh, it's beadwork, however, that's on Tyrone's father's mind. He says that it encourages patience. And if a person can't control themselves, what can they control anyway? Uh, it's the regalia that they wear here when they march out in the street that helps them find control. And Tyrone finds a black cloak. In the church, Tandy explains that when she uses her power, there's a release not unlike that of in intimacy. Tyrone has not told anyone about his powers. They talk about significant others, uh, and they've not told either of them. However, they confess that they would have told Billy and Tandy's father, and they also would have understood Familial woes, however, like Tyrone's parents not trusting him since he was eight have prevented him from sharing the information. Turns out the cloak that Tyrone picked was Billy's. It's unfinished, something he'd like to remedy and march for him. Tandy tells her mother she's come back around to trusting Greg only to find out they just broke up. As she goes to convince Greg to come back, she sees a water delivery woman shoot him in the head and torch the office. At the church, Tandy offers Tyrone a drink, but he refuses. He's no altar boy, but in the church choir instead. They talk about their survivor's guilt, the metaphorical checks that Tyrone has never cashed, about making up for the lives lost, and Tandy wishes she could die back at home tandy overhears her mother leaving a sixth message on greg's voicemail in a vain attempt to make up when tandy confesses suicidal thoughts tyrone lectures her on life and her responsibilities they get into a heavy conversation about privilege and race but she's seen his hopes that include suicide by cop he has his own death wish, it turns out, when he leaves to work out, she turns to using drugs. 
Later, Tandy goes to the water and places chains around her legs and ropes around her hands and jumps in before surfacing with a dagger of light that allowed her a way out. Tyrone returns to the police precinct and asks to speak to Detective O'Reilly. Tandy goes to Greg's office and retrieves files from his safe with the help of her powers. Great recap there, Pete. This for an episode that uh, that had an interesting narrative format, an episode that certainly talked about some of the more uh, the more challenging topics of the day and things going on with our characters. But uh, let's zero in on dark figures. Nay, Pete, a literal figure seen partially in the dark, that of the dastardly water delivery lady, who I don't think Pete actually works for a water delivery company. I'm just going to throw that theory out there right now. What? That's not the Culligan killer right there? (laughs) I think not. I certainly was sad to see Greg bite the bullet all but literally. Um, I know obviously there was a question prior to this episode as to his, you know, his uh, appropriateness. And certainly I don't want to take away some of the uh, drunken benders, etc., that he did uh, there with Tandy's mother. But it seems like he was genuinely interested in making a future. Uh, and, and now clearly that's not going to happen. I think one of the things that uh, his murder and let's be honest, a shot to the head and blood all over the wall is TV code for you're not in the main timeline anymore of this show. Um, The thing about his murder, not so much the person who committed it clearly rocks on is behind this Um, it interestingly establishes that Tandy can see things that might not happen. So it's not an ironclad, uh, view of the future. Something we're going to talk a little bit more about in our light theories segment. Pete, I know for Tyrone, there's a, there's that really powerful scene where he's describing what life is like to be a young black man in America in 2018. And I think for him, going to the police station very clearly he's he feels like he's going into you know the lion's den here and though i think we're not gonna paint police all at the same brush uh he certainly would would view going there as uh, as him confronting a villainous force in this episode there's a tremendous empathy that occurs in that scene the use of sound in particular jarring and and really helping you to feel what it must be like to be under the microscope talked before about you know being thought of as a as a thug as a young black man in the south and obviously we have seen tyrone in his daily life he's anything but and to have that suspicion and to try to carry off this uh mission of seeming like a victim so that maybe he could get closer to uh, Connors and no wonder his his conscience creeps up and and he bails on it and really by faking the um, the bike theft they likely would have found that out and then viewed him 
through those suspicious eyes again. So for him by the end of the episode to flip it around and instead, okay, here's a woman in detective O'Reilly that I can go to that I can be on the up and up. It, it sets a true example. And again, we don't want to look at law enforcement with the idea that they are corrupt yet. We know corruption happens. So it's a real world narrative in our fictional story. I appreciate that episode writers, Christine Boylan and Marcus J. Guillory, that they bring that up as a, as a pertinent topic and kind of name it and frame it and explain it. That decision, however, left me confused when in the same scene, Tandy is also talking about the police and the notion of justice. And for, for whatever reason, she stopped short of saying, you know, I was almost raped she did, or sexually assaulted. She kind of doesn't name the thing. Right. Meanwhile, we get this very, you know, very kind of thoughtful and nuanced uh, explanation from Tyrone about life from his perspective. And I just kind of walked away saying, you know, it's not doing Tandy justice to have her not name the thing. When you name it, you can start to, um, I don't want to say overcome. I don't want to downplay what happened to her. But, you know, you can start to deal with it when it's not this nebulous thing in the back of your head. And I thought it was just a little unfortunate that we get all this Tyrone stuff where he's helping me understand life from his point of view. And we don't get that fully realized from Tandy based on her experiences. Yeah. And I think, too, that this sequence is so timely and necessary, the setting, the idea behind it and the way in which it's framed uh, to help us again understand as an audience. Well, let's talk some light theories now. Uh, this certainly was an episode, again, a ton of character time, kind of an interesting way to to present the story. I don't know that I loved the pacing, but Pete, what theories are rattling around in your head? Well, let's start with what is at the bottom of the lake there, uh, this scrap metal underwater that Roxxon wants. They've even created a shell corporation to try to be able to manipulate and, uh, you know, profit from. Yeah, kind of, I, I give the episode and the overall storyline, uh, I give it credit for kind of giving us a big bad, uh, not in Roxxon. I mean, that was, you know, clearly if you know the MCU, you know the company's up to no good, but kind of a, a big bad of sorts in that we're going to return to this um this this oil rig uh and not just as a as a bit of character stuff from from all those years ago uh, i like that they're introducing something that can carry us through the rest of the season and i like that they're introducing it in the fourth episode um the flip side is i feel like it's it's a bit nebulous at this point what it could be i don't know that we've gotten enough evidence one way or the other to really say oh man it's going to be an infinity stone or it's going to be a hyperdrive or it's going to be whatever Here's one for you, Pete, and certainly a, uh, you know, a, a more serious theory if these characters were real. Thank goodness that they're not. But how how has your perspective of Tandy changed given that she does make this attempt on her own life? 
is it something that's been that's just been used for a story point a story turn now she has a little bit more control of her uh, powers and whatnot or should we be kind of concerned about her mental state moving forward well see that's what i think we have to figure out was that an honest attempt at suicide or was she attempting to trigger her powers um it's not quite clear and i think that's where dialogue is going to go a long way you know if this episode holds true she's going to tell tyrone that she tried it and that she was able to elude death through the use of her powers does she now know what it takes to summon them or would the magic the light what have you not allow her to die or even matt since water was involved and seemingly the body of water where uh, her father died and where the rocks on magic too is uh did that play a role it certainly gives a lot of potential moving forward. I think, you know, on the one hand, uh, if we look back and say, hey, the episode used uh, a legit attempted suicide as a cutesy, empowering superpower moment, that might play a little less great as time goes on. I think in the short term, I take her seriousness at the attempt. Um, and, you know, again, maybe it's just one of these things where you're 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 at your wits end and then that glimmer of hope comes on up so time will tell pete last uh notion of a theory here any any more that we might get from mrs pressfield you know a character who impacted the plot but was not seen was barely heard if at all by we the audience so anything going on with her well if anything the lack of clarity into his murder we're obviously reading rocks on but he had a rocky relationship with the wife what if that's a misdirect matt what if she is getting him out of the way it certainly falls under the category at least at this fairly early stage granted we're now 40 percent through the season but um not having a sense of what is the exact flavor of cloak and dagger are we all going to keep everything under the, uh, you know, somewhat predictable but nonetheless engaging notion of big bad rocks on? Uh, or will we take twists and turns with that? I would assume it's more the former and not the latter. But uh, we shall certainly see with the six remaining episodes. With that, Pete, let's talk some listener feedback here. We always love hearing from people. And uh, all the way from down under, we have a tweet from our pal Shmahu. That's, uh, of course, Jeremy Richards down there in Australia. And he has a really, really great point, Pete. One that I read before seeing the episode, then <laughs> forgot about, then remembered all on my own. Got in your head. <laughs> yeah, it did. He said that shaky cam's got to go in Cloak and Dagger. Or is it a prerequisite for show screening on the channel Freeform? Uh, I don't have enough Freeform experience to know that. I only noticed it at one point during the episode. So clearly it didn't make the impact on me that it did on you. I noticed it a bit more than that. Now you want to do some shaky cam when it's like, oh man, Tyrone is making the challenging decision to throw away his bicycle and to, 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 to make a fake crime. And 
the camera is going to capture the adrenaline running through his uh, veins or the rocky terrain that he's on as he's uh, under the overpass. Okay, that's a stylistic choice. Let's let's do that. But when you have two people standing in the church, talk like like, oh my goodness, let's talk about your past, my past, our shared weirdo visions, etc. Do we need to have the camera moving this way? Just hold the darn camera still and let the actress <laughs> say these kind of like. It's not. Look, this is not the most profound script ever, but these characters are very very earnest in their feelings, and you know, oh my goodness. In your vision, where who was the little girl handing out uh, roofies? That was me. All right, you know what? That's not the most fascinating conversation ever, but it's it was an evocative image, and they're circling back to it. Just let the lady deliver the lines. Let's move on. So, I give a slight finger wag to episode director Amy Kanan Mann uh, for all all the the shaky cam we'll see if i notice it next week we'll see if i remember it next week we'll see if it's even there next week let us know there shmahu when you see next week's episode well pete as people continue to watch cloak and dagger we would love to hear their thoughts about these episodes how can people be in touch with you you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r ten thousand twenty one followers can't be wrong and while i am personally on twitter's looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast visit fantasticgeek.com leave a comment there our gmail our twitter our instagram it's all fantastic geek but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today if you're listening to us on the Cloak and Dagger feed, we will be back in a week's time to talk more Cloak and Dagger. If you're listening to us in the Pop Culture Podcast feed, buckle up. We got later this weekend, Luke Cage, followed by Tuesday, Luke Cage, followed by Thursday, Luke Cage, followed by Friday, Cloak and Dagger. It's on. It is on like Donkey Kong. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word character is what you do when no one else is watching <laughs>